What's up, gentlemen? Before we begin, a friendly reminder that this podcast is not associated with any church, school, or calling body, and nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official doctrine, teaching, or theology of any church, school, or calling body. We're a bunch of dudes who love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus, and this is where we air out our thoughts, so don't take it as much more than that. I hope that this is edifying for you. Let's get started with the show. Today's podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of a canon, father of five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. Take 10 minutes each weekday to listen to the Christ for Disciples podcast and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and whatever else. ChristForDisciples.com. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn what it means to be a man after God's own heart. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. And our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to be the men that God created them to be. So roll up your sleeves, gentlemen, and gird up. It's time to get to work. All right, gentlemen, what's up? Welcome to the Geared Up Podcast. This is the place where young men come to learn to be the men that God created them to be. I'm glad that you're with us. hope this podcast is a blessing to you. Thank you to everybody who's been supporting us, either uh, by just praying for us, man, and praying for a community of men, community of believers um, who, who want to uh, restore masculinity to the modern world, particularly Christian masculinity, which is uh, the foundation of, I mean, like, there is no ma- true masculinity without Christianity. Because God has designed us very specifically for his service. Um, and so when you have try and be a man without Jesus, um, it's all just chasing after the wind, as, as Ecclesiastes says. Um, but there's a huge movement in the world right now of men who want to push back to that. The reality is that uh, manhood is something you have to learn. And uh, when <laughs> manhood is something you have to learn, and you learn it from other men. And, and so part of the place that we learn that is from the Bible, right? We look at the examples of men in the Bible. Men like Jesus preached to us in the Bible, um, and, and God uses the Bible to show us how to be men, right? Um, but the other piece of it is that we're supposed to be surrounded by a crowd of witnesses, of other men, especially older men, um, who are an example to us of what masculinity ought to be. And unfortunately for us, um, in our generation in particular, um, the men in our lives aren't a whole lot better off than we are. They, they, they're not any better at being men than we are. Um, oftentimes, and unfortunately, a large majority of the older generation of men in our lives, uh, if they showed up at all, they're just as messed up as we are. And so uh, if we're going to fix that problem, if we're going to head in the right direction here and uh, reclaim masculinity in the modern world, as we say, we have to do that with groups like this um, and communities like this where where we work together on that. And so that's why we've got a podcast here um, that's specifically designed to help encourage and equip 
and mentor you on your road to manhood. So make sure you're 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 listening in well here, sharing it if it's of any value to you. And I'm gonna keep praying that uh, we speak the truth to you in love, um, and that God's name is glorified in this. Uh, thank you to anybody who's been donating or buying T-shirts. Um, you guys are awesome. Dropped off more T-shirt deliveries today, so they're in the mail. They're on their way to you. Um, man, what a blessing that you guys have been to me and to the podcast and my brothers here too. Um, you guys have uh, made the podcast now. It, it pays for itself. We would love to continue to grow and make things bigger and better. Um, and as the school year gear, gears up here, um, we want to be able to keep making content for you, but we can't do that uh, if we don't have the time to do so. So anything that you can do to help us um, be able to do that is awesome, and we appreciate it. Um, you can go on the website. You can buy us a $5 cup of coffee. You can buy a T-shirt. Uh, you can go on Patreon and be a patron on Patreon, all that kind of good stuff, man. Um, if, if the Lord leads you to do so, we pray that you do so. Uh, but most importantly, we just need your prayers. Let's pray for men, men all over the world, and uh, men who are preparing for uh, ministry, both public ministry and uh, lay ministry. So men who are just men after God's own heart. And, uh, man, the Lord will not tell us no. He won't. Um, he might tell us in his own time. But if we pray for men to be united to their fathers again, that, that men ought to be the men that they are, ought to be. Um, the Lord's not going to deny that. So let's keep praying and working on it. Um, let's say a prayer here. Let's get started. Heavenly Father, guard my lips and guard my tongue today that I might speak the truth, um, the only truth, and that we might be set free um, in the freedom of your redemption, your forgiveness, and live out our calling as men of your own heart. Amen. Gentlemen, today I want to talk about women. I want to talk about the submission of women, and that makes me very, very nervous. I'll be honest. I've recorded this this exact podcast probably like eight to ten times now because I just want to do it right. <laughs> and uh, so I actually have decided I'm going to go off the script a little bit um, and kind of speak to you more man-to-man here uh, because uh, on earlier versions of this video, I was really focusing on reading off the paper so that I said all the right things and just came off as disingenuous. Um, and I even said some things that I didn't want to say. So um, hopefully this comes out as a, <laughs> as the product that I hope it is. And I hope it's it's actually really encouraging for both men and women um, and not the opposite. Um, and if, and if I w- I'm more than happy to engage in discourse on this conversation too, fellas and girls, because um, I'm sure some of you guys are going to see this and, and, and want to know what I have to say. So um, first off, this is all rooted in First uh, Corinthians 11. That's the section of the text that we're going to base this off of today. If you haven't read that for a while, or if you've never read it, I would go back and read it. Um, it's a little bit confusing. I Honestly, I use both uh, the Lenski commentary and um, the People's Bible commentaries uh, to kind of dive through and make sure that I understood exactly what's going on here. Uh, but this is important to realize and recognize and remember because this is going to determine if I'm a single man, It's going to help me figure out who I want to marry. Understanding this relationship and what this is supposed to look like is is going to help me kind of discern who I do and don't want to spend my life with and who I do and don't want to be yoked with, as the Bible says. Um, But the other thing it's going to do is for married men or men who are pursuing marriage now, um, it's going to help them establish a healthy and happy relationship with their wives. It's going to help men who are drifting away from their lives better engage. Um, and it's going to help women come alive and be free as well. So um, a, an understanding of what's truly going on in Scripture, um, as opposed to an understanding of what either the church or the world teaches us, um, is going to be very important. And, and yes, I know I just criticized the church. And I try not to criticize the church as much as possible. 
Um, but the reality is the church is not always right. And, and churches don't have a monopoly on the word of God. And there are times when tradition becomes more powerful and usurps the authority of Scripture itself. And I think this is one of those places where, especially in a conservative church, um, we have, um, I don't know if it's a combination of allowing like the, the clear roles of women in, men and women in worship to drift into our homes and families. And I think that is true to an extent. But I also think there's a lot of American culture that gets inserted especially traditional American culture and like conservatism also gets inserted then into our relationships with our each other. And uh, while they often do serve us better than the liberal world, than like the way out that like then that, well, the feminist idea that men and women are basically the same, the conservative viewpoint of that is going to be more beneficial than that. But that doesn't mean that that's how God designed it and planned it and wants it to be. And so that's why we got to make sure we go back to Scripture and let Scripture guide us on these things um, and not so much the people around us. So this is a deep dive into Scripture here. Um, I've heard it said that uh, well-behaved women really make history, and that's absolutely true for all kinds of reasons. And we can think of all kinds of bad examples of that, right? Um, I think there's a lot of good examples of that, too. And there's a, great, a lot of great examples of that in the Bible as well, where you have women who break social and cultural norms that aren't necessarily mandated by Scripture, but they break social and cultural norms and do great things for the sake of Jesus and for the kingdom. And there's endless stories of that, um, whether it's you know some of David's wives or you even have like um, – we're not even going to get into that because it's going to take the podcast hours to get through then. Um, but – the relationship between man and woman, specifically that submission that we talk about, um, is, is an important concept to understand, and we will not have healthy, happy relationships with our wives if we don't understand it, okay? Um, and that word submission is what most of the time the world hates. Um, it's also what a lot of women hate, quite frankly, and it's something a lot of men are too afraid uh, to actually deal with. They'll just pretend it isn't even there because they don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, they think it's safer to just ignore it. Um, and so we're going to use a working definition here of surrender um, to someone who is in authority over me. And we're just going to leave it at that. Um, and it's and a surrender is, a, is an important word there. I use that intentionally because when you surrender, you're making a decision to do so. Okay. Um, when we choose to submit, there's actually a level of freedom in that because I can revoke my submission at any time. It's me making a choice out of my free will to do something, right? to give you my power. Uh, and that's an important foundation that we need to start with here. Uh, the other reality here is that um, when there's, there's more than one submission that's outlined in Scripture, right? We've talked before on the podcast about the submission of young men to older men so that they can be led and guided and they can teach young men how to be men because... We can't learn how to be men on our own. We're not going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not something that's possible. So instead, we must learn how to be men from other men and from Scripture. Okay, So there's actually three different levels of submission that are outlined in the Bible. There's the submission of Christ to God, which is a perfect deity submitting to a perfect being, or a perfect being submitting to a perfect deity. Then there's the submission of man to Christ, which is the submission of a sinful being to a perfect being, right? And then who who is also submitted to a perfect heavenly father. And then this is the submission of a woman to a man, which is a sinful being to a sinful being, a sinful creation to a sinful creation. 
Now, obviously, the sinful creation submitting to a sinful creation, that relationship is going to have to look different than the relationship of the sinful creation submitting to a perfect God or than, the sinful cre- or than a perfect uh, creation submitting to a perfect God. And so we need to outline those three relationships and understand how they interact with each other if we're really going to understand what's going on in marriage. So that first submission is the submission of Christ to God. Now, we can get into all kinds of discussion about the Trinity, uh, but Christ is begotten of the Father. So he's made in God's image just the way that Adam was made in God's image. Like Adam was made in the image of God, and Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. So he's the perfect man, right? So he is created in the image of God just like Adam was, okay? And because Jesus is both man, the Son of Man and the Son of God, Submission for him to a heavenly father um, is something that comes in his nature. It's normal to him. It's natural. It's the natural state of things between him and his heavenly father. Um, Because he's created in the image of God, he even is one with the father. He says in the New Testament, I and my father are one. If you know me, you know the father. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. And therefore, Jesus and the father, their wills are united. God's will is Jesus's will. We can see that in Gethsemane. It's not even necessarily easy for Jesus to always follow God's will. But he can do it, and he does it perfectly because that's his nature, right? In Gethsemane, you see Jesus saying, Lord, if there's any other way, like, please take this cup from me. But if this must be the way, I will do so. And that's eventually what he does, right? Um, So Christ is perfect. God's will is perfect. And Christ perfectly submits to God's will and perfectly carries it out. Man, though, unlike Christ, is sinful. So the sinful human being, the sinful man, is not submitted to Christ the way that Christ submits to God because he's not perfect and he can't submit to Christ that way. The man, Adam, was created perfect just like Christ and in God's image just like Christ, but his nature has now been corrupted, so he's no longer able to do um, the good works he wants to do. He can't do that anymore. Um, he can't perfectly submit, and so his relationship with Christ is not one of equals, it's not one of perfect unity. Instead, it's it's the man um, continually throughout his life trying to discover the will of the Father and not being able to do so. And as Christians, we recognize that. Paul talks about that all the time in Romans. Um, he says, the good I want to do, I do not do. The wicked I do not want to do, um, I do. Who can save me from this body of death? And his answer is Jesus. The redemptive work of Christ was that he was born in our place as our substitute, lived a perfect life in our place as our substitute, was tortured and put to death in our place as our substitute, was then condemned to hell in our place as our substitute, right? God turns his back on Jesus. Hell is the absence of God. So when God turns his back on Jesus, Jesus goes through hell, right? And then he raises from the dead and breaks the power of of, of death and sin. But that doesn't mean that you and I have now become uncorrupted. We are still corrupted. And so we have to depend completely and trust that God will provide the righteousness that we don't have. That Jesus' righteousness will be um, credited to our account and that we might be saved by Jesus' righteousness because all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. The best we can possibly do is even completely worthless. And so that's where faith comes in, is I believe that my father loves me, that he has given his very son to die for me, to buy me back, and to redeem me. And because I know that and believe that, I put my faith in him, and I do what he tells me. And he tells me I must follow the law. He tells me exactly what I ought to do so that I might not be lost again to condemnation and sin. 
because he's already done the redemptive work, he can give me the ability to follow after him. But while I'm still here with a sinful and corrupted nature, I can't, that's never going, I'm never going to be back in the image of God until I die and I'm given a new body in heaven and that will once again be the creation I was created to be. And so when, when, when a man who is sinful tries to do what is good and right and tries to know the will of the Father and walk that out, he's doing that for the sake, like out of faith, so that he might be saved, right? He's working out his salvation with fear and trembling, as the Bible says. Um, Martin Luther talks about um, talks about this when he talks about the the three purposes of the law, right? A mirror, curb, and guide. The mirror continually shows me that I need a savior, that I'm not good enough to be saved, so that my faith continues to be valuable to me, because I know that I cannot, by my own thinking or choosing, do enough um, to glorify my heavenly Father, to be perfect, to be righteous. And therefore be saved. Second thing is a curb, right? So it keeps me on a straight and narrow path so I don't turn away from the path of life and begin wandering in darkness and once again be lost to sin and condemnation. Um, and he's also, the law is also a guide. So it shows me where I am going and, and what I ought to be doing, right? Jesus breaks down the law into two things. He says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And I can't do those two things if I don't know what the rules are, right? And, and, and that's what the law is. It's a set of guidelines for me to follow so that while I'm here, I can glorify my Heavenly Father. I can live the way He meant me to live, even though I cannot perfectly achieve that and be saved. Okay? Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of a weird submission of, uh, of, of a sinful being to a Heavenly Father because it's like a... You know, I can't do this, and yet I will strive valiantly to do so anyway because I love you, right? He cannot achieve the righteousness demanded of him by his creator, so he's totally dependent on Christ for the righteousness which will be credited to him by faith. So in other words, all of a man's righteous acts are like filthy rags, but the righteous acts of Jesus are attributed to him and on his account because of his faith. Now, a woman, her submission is going to look different. So like basically a man is just walking through life trying to follow Jesus. He's just trying to follow Jesus, okay? A woman's submission to a man has to look different than that because a man, unlike Jesus, is not perfect. And so she can't submit to her husband the way that a man would submit to Christ. And that's what a lot of times, that's what a lot of old school Bible commentators will say is this idea of she is just quiet in the face of her husband, right? She does not, like, there, there is, that there's no insubordination, that she's basically a slave to her husband. And that's what the outside world sees as well and says, you're crazy, why would you let this happen? You know, why would a woman con- allow this to be the case? And frankly, I don't understand why a woman would want that either. I don't think she would. I don't think any woman gets married saying, you know, this is what I want for myself. Um, if anything, she misunderstands the scripture and says, well, this is what God wants for me, but I can't imagine it's a pleasant experience or that's particularly enjoyable or that there's a whole lot of grace in that situation either. Um, the other thing about, uh, a woman submitting to a man is that she also can't perfectly submit. So if the expectation for her is to be like Christ submitting to God, she's continually going to be let down and her husband's going to continue to be let down because she can't perfectly submit to him. And there's going to be times where her husband, who is a sinner, isn't walking in the way of the truth and she wants to walk in truth. And so there's this weird situation where she can't both um, submit perfectly to her husband and submit perfectly to God at the same time. 
right? So, so the submission of a woman to a man is actually incredibly challenging. Um, and, and frankly, submitting to her husband in that like perfect way, like as a slave, wouldn't be good for her or her husband anyway. Her husband is going to either um, hate her because she doesn't follow him perfectly and doesn't, you know, doesn't do as well as she ought in following him because he has this way too high expectation. Or he's going to despise her because she expects perfection from him as as a head. Um, and the other way around, you know, from, from a woman's perspective, she's going to be upset all the time because she expects him to lead her in paths of righteousness. And he's a sinner and he can't do that perfectly. And so instead of this um, slavery style submission, right, we have to look at some other, there has to be something else here. In order to do that, we got to look back to Genesis and see what the relationship was originally like. In a perfect Eden, Eve submitted to Adam, who submitted to Christ, who submitted to God. Now, Adam was perfect. Adam was still living in the likeness of God, and so he was still perfect. He still didn't sin. And so when Eve was created, First uh, Corinthians 11 says that, that Adam was created in the image of God, but Eve was created to the glory of Adam, which in a sinful world is almost terrifying. And, and, and I, don't, I don't really like that even as a man. And I know a lot of women don't like that idea of not being created in the image of God, but being created for the glory of man. But in a perfect Eden, where Adam is perfectly submitted to the will of the Father, where he's perfectly walking with Jesus as the as the Son of God, like walking the cool of the day with, oh boy, <laughs> like with Jesus, right? He's perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. Being submitted to him as, as a wife to her husband would have been an absolutely wonderful, blissful, happy experience um, because Adam never would have let her down. He never would have led her astray. He never would have failed in his role as a man leading his wife, and she could also perfectly be united to him and perfectly have her will united to his. And when her will is united to his, her will would also be united to Christ's will because his will was perfectly united to Christ's will. And so she didn't need to follow Christ in order to follow Christ. She could follow her husband, and by following her husband perfectly would also perfectly be following Christ. But that's no longer the relationship that we have. And so... um. She can't make him complete the way she did before because he, he's got another hole in his chest. It's like the idea of like you have a dam, right, that's holding back water, and you've got two holes in the dam. You can fill up one hole, but it's not going to fix the dam. You have to fill up both holes in order to fix the dam. So in Genesis, God said it's not good for man to be alone, and he created Eve to be the fulfillment of Adam, right, to make him complete. And that was all wonderful and good. But now Adam is not complete, and so Adam, Adam's piece of the puzzle is not complete. And so even if Eve was perfect and united to Adam, it still wouldn't be enough to make Adam whole because Adam's a sinner, right? And now Eve, who's an imperfect half, is united to another imperfect half, and together they don't, they don't make a perfect whole. They're going to make a more imperfect half. And so this relationship between Adam and Eve is now different. And it even says in the fall of man that um, the condemnation of the fall is that her, um, like her desire is now going to be for her husband. Instead of her desiring Christ and loving her husband th and loving Christ through her husband, 
Now her desire is going to be for she's going to she's going to resent her husband for being her head uh, because he's not perfect and she's not perfect and this relationship isn't going to work very well anymore. And that's why the more submitted to Christ we are, the better this relationship is going to work. Okay, Adam can no longer made be complete by Eve because neither of them is complete themselves in righteousness. And so the natures have been corrupted. They're two pieces in a puzzle. Both of those pieces are flawed and broken, and so they don't make a perfect picture when they're put together. Um, Adam is going to be caught up for his whole life in the pursuit of righteousness um, so that he, in the end, by faith, might be shown faithful and that Christ's righteousness might be con uh, like credited to him. And so her submission as Eve is not that of a slave, but as a helper, right? And that's what the Bible uses as, as their connecto. It's a helpmate suitable for him um, in his pursuit of righteousness so that he and his family might be saved, right? So now, instead of being essentially perfectly submitted to her husband, instead of being a slave to her husband, it's now her role to play a part in him being righteous so that he might be saved. And we're not talking about perfect righteousness where he's perfect now and he can be saved on his own, but pursuing a life of faith um, and, in, and in leadership of his family, then also creating faith in his, in his wife and children so that they all might together be saved by his leadership because he's the one that's ultimately accountable. She must also, along with her husband, Know the will of the Father through daily repentance, contrition, prayer, and study of the Word so that she might be able to admonish him and guide him along that path. She's there to help him in his job of being righteous and faithful to God. Okay, so she's no longer perfectly submitted to him. She's now alongside him as a partner, and they're trying to be righteous together and live a righteous life together. Her task is an impossible task, though, because he's not righteous. Okay? The man desires to do what is good, and so he, he, he does what is good in his own eyes and trusts that his Heavenly Father is guiding him, but he can't do so perfectly. Um, and so she's there to help lead him and guide him, and she's there. And she can do that while also submitting to his authority, right? Um, you, can, you can be a blessing to the people around you. You can be a leader without giving up your, your submission. Okay, you can do those two things. And so it actually like here's the, here's the deal. When we're talking about um, a woman submitting, especially a Christian woman. So, okay, here's the deal with Christian women. Christian women essentially have two choices in life. Okay, if they love Jesus, they have two choices in life. They can either choose to remain single and all they have to do is just tie into the word of God and dive into the word of God and follow Jesus as best as they can. Um, and. and and they will in the end be saved. That's one option. The other option that a Christian woman has is to take a posture of submission to her husband so that she might, she's doing it for his sake, so that together they might create a family unit where even more people will come to know the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So essentially she can either choose to just remain single and love and serve Jesus in her role as a single woman, or instead of submitting to Christ, she can submit to, instead to her husband, and she and her husband together then create a culture and environment in their home where more and more people, in their descendants then, also come to know the knowledge of the truth and then are also saved. Okay, It actually, uh, so here, 
when a woman consents with a pure heart to marry a man, it's actually like a shocking act of selflessness because she's giving up her own autonomy, her own um, ability to just serve Christ and walk with him in order to help a man do that in his own life. Uh, and it's, it's a miracle, I think, of the will, and, and it's a leftover piece of, of Eden that she would choose to do so. And frankly, as men, we ought to be honored and flattered by the fact that these women choose to come into our lives, come into our homes to submit to us, take a posture of submission to us. And again, that's not like a, you must submit to me, but that they would choose to take that on for our sakes so that we might reproduce and create in our wives and our families more faith. Okay, you and I, you know what I'm trying to say. We're not creating faith, but that we might together all be faithful and in the end be saved. It continues to be a wonder to me that a woman might choose for my sake as a man to take a posture of submission to me as an unrighteous head, um, but... As scripture says, it does make a little bit of sense because as scripture says, her desire is for her husband, right? And so in the perfection of Eden, she would have desired to help make Adam whole. And and, and that's the leftover desire that we've still got going on. And that's why men and women marry each other um, because that's how God created us to behave. And especially as we get to know Jesus better and as we fall in love with Jesus, um, we want to live the lives that he prepared for us, that he wants us to live. And this is a piece of that puzzle. Um, but with that submission, so submission of, of wife to husband and husband to Christ and Christ to God, we need to recognize that there is a, a, there's a ladder of authority here. This is all about accountability more than it is about rule over, right? Um, a lot of times what we end up doing is looking down the chain of command and saying, you are mine, I'm responsible for you, instead of looking up the chain of command and humbly recognizing our position. Okay? The husband is ultimately accountable to a holy God for what happens in his house. You and I are going to stand before the throne of God someday and have to explain what happens in our home, and he's going to hold us accountable for what happens in our home. Now, he's going to do so with grace because Jesus has washed our sin away. We also don't want to live a lifestyle of sin because we're going to, our family is going to lose that faith and we're not going to bring up more people who are going to be saved. Okay, So this accountability of, of, of a man to Christ has to be the foundation of a wife's submission. Right? A woman is not asked to, to submit herself to a sinful man who does not follow Christ. She's, asking, she's asked to submit to a man who is submitted to Christ. That's what she's asking him to do. Submitting to a man who does not recognize Christ as an authority would be foolish and unwise, and that's why the world doesn't do it. Because a man who's not accountable doesn't have to act right. He doesn't have to treat her well. He doesn't have to look out for her best interests. He doesn't have to be faithful to her. He doesn't have to do any of those things because he's not accountable to anyone. And no woman is going to want to be accountable to a man who doesn't have authority in his life to which he is accountable. There is no like natural characteristic of leadership or something that God has given men which makes them more valuable or better leaders or something. It's that God says, no, I created you for my glory. I created her for your glory. She's your responsibility 
which I know I know a lot of times we don't like that language, but when we understand it as God is going to hold me accountable for what happens in your heart and in your life, that God expects me to lead you in such a way that you would love and cherish him, that makes that responsibility a blessing to the wife, not necessarily a difficult burden for the husband, okay? The husband has been tasked by a holy God with the protection and provision of his wife and children. And a man who fears God ought to do this with like absolute terror in his heart to work out his salvation with fear and trembling because this is a God who claims my wife and children as his own wife and children. And this is a God who loved my wife and children so much that he gave his only son to live a life on earth, be tormented, crucified, and sent to hell for their sake because he loves them that much. And now he's saying, I'm holding you accountable for what happens to them. And when they arrive at my throne in on the last day and are faithful, that will be credited to your account. But if they arrive at my doorstep in eternity and they have not remained faithful, if you have not trained them up in the way they should go, if you have not led your family well, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. That's the relationship that we have here. And that relationship, a man who understands that, is going to be nothing but a blessing to his family because he's going to be so concerned with presenting his family righteous on the last day because they can claim the righteousness of Christ because of their faith and because they have lived lives where their faith is protected, because they have lived and walked the way of the truth, they can now be saved. And that's what God wants for his children, and that's the responsibility God has given us as men. And so when we talk about the submission of women, we're not talking about God saying, woman, do what he says. We're talking about God looking at the man and saying, I'm giving you a gift and I'm giving you of my own children. If you love me, here's how you will treat them. And that's the relationship that we ought to have with our wives and children. It's a condemnation and a promise all at once, right? If I do so, he promises there will be so many blessings and a great reward in heaven. If we fail to do so, we will be condemned. And it's this threat of condemnation and promise of salvation at the same time that is the premise of which the wife and children is based. Like, that's the premise that the submission of wife and children to a husband is based on. A man who does not stand terrified before the throne of God has absolutely no right to demand submission from his wife. But the man who goes about his work as a husband and father with fear and trembling will not need to outright demand submission from a holy and righteous and godly wife, not holy, you know what I mean, a righteous and godly wife, because that righteous and godly wife is going to see how he's even giving his very life for her, how he's interceding for her before the throne of God, how he's fighting for her soul, how he's fighting for her heart, how he's actively leading her and guiding her in the study of the word and in a life of faith. She's going to see all of that, and she will willingly submit to him so that on the last day, they might together present their family and as the head, he might present her to the throne of God as one who has been faithful and might spend eternity with him. 
if we recognize that each and every single one of us is a valuable child of God, one who has so valuable to my heavenly father that he even gave his son and died for us, and that he now holds us as men accountable for what happens in our families and our homes, it's an incredible blessing because it's going to force me to walk the line and be incredibly humble and unselfish as far as the way I lead my family. But it's also a huge blessing to my wife. It's like an insurance policy that says this man is going to lead you in faithfulness. And, and the Heavenly Father is now asking her, will you choose, will you choose to sacrifice your own autonomy, to sacrifice your own life for the sake of this man I have given you so that you together might have children who will then be saved. So we might fill the earth up with children who absolutely love and adore our Heavenly Father that the, and that on the last day we might present our own families and children before the throne of God as those who can claim the blood of Jesus as their salvation because they have had faith in him and have died in faith. This is a very heavy burden to carry, gentlemen, and we cannot do it alone. And so we must build a relationship with our Heavenly Father because that's what we're made for. This is the only thing that's ever going to be important, fellas, is a relationship with our Heavenly Father and what we do after that. I love you all. Go be the Ben that God created you to be. We'll see you next time. On behalf of all those involved in producing, recording, and publishing this episode, thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. We hope it helps you along your journey to be a man after God's own heart. Be sure to check out the Gird Up channel on YouTube. There you will find many podcast episodes just like this one, but you will also find exclusive video content geared at helping you be the man that God created you to be by introducing you to other godly men, teaching you how to behave, study, dress, act, eat, and live like a man of God, and you'll find devotions to help you grow in faith. Please consider supporting Gird Up Ministries by donating on Patreon, shopping in the online store at girdupministries.com, or by making a $5 cup of coffee donation at girdupministries.com. Those donations help us make more great content just like this for young men just like you. Make sure that you like, follow, friend, and subscribe to Gird Up and our guests on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Those links are in the description. And as always, we'll be praying for you on your journey. Blessings, men. Time to gird up and go be the man that God created you to be.